0: Stanford University. Well now I want to deal with the anterior surface of the thigh and First of all we'll put in the anterior superior iliac spine and we'll indicate the position of the superficial inguinal ring which you remember is an opening uh, in the aponeurosis of the external oblique muscle. And here I can just indicate the position of the pubic tubercle. Now the skin of the lateral surface of the thigh extends down in this manner and the skin on the medial surface of the thigh extends down in that way. And I'll just indicate the position of the underlying patella in that manner. Now extending between the anterior superior ilex spine and the pubic tubercle, we have the inguinal ligament. And you remember that the inguinal ligament is the lower thickened margin of the aponeurosis of the external oblique. Mm-hmm. And I'll just indicate the position of that ligament in that manner. Now let us put in the sensory nerve supply to the skin of the front of the thigh. You'll remember that the twelfth thoracic nerve, the subcostal nerve, sweeps around the side of the abdominal wall and then sends off a branch which extends into the upper lateral part of the thigh. So this is the lateral cutaneous branch of the twelfth thoracic nerve. Coming down under the inguinal ligament we have the femoral branch of the genitofemoral nerve. You'll remember the genital branch of the genitofemoral nerve supplied the cremaster muscle. This is the femoral branch of the genitofemoral nerve. So the stimulation of this nerve will cause contraction of the cremaster muscle in the male. Coming down through the inguinal canal, we have from the first lumbar nerve, the ilio nerve. And having emerged from the superficial inguinal ring, it supplies the skin and the root of the penis or, or the labia in this region here. Now, what about the sensory nerve supply to the front of the thigh, below that level? Well, you remember coming down underneath the inguinal ligament, deep to the fascia lata, we have the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve. This pierces the fascia larta about a hand's breadth below the anterior superior iliac spine and supplies the skin down the lateral side of the thigh, usually sending a branch in round to the posterior surface. And then uh, uh, another t- t- nerve here coming through the deep fascia is the intermediate cutaneous fe- nerve of the thigh, the intermediate femoral cutaneous nerve, which are branches of the femoral nerve. And they pierce the deep fascia and come on down to supply the skin right down as far as the patella. The intermediate femoral cutaneous nerves, branches of the femoral nerve. And lastly, down here, we have the medial femoral cutaneous nerves. The medial femoral cutaneous nerves are branches of the femoral nerve and they come down on the medial side of the patella, right down as far as the medial side of the knee joint. Now this leaves a variable area here which is supplied by a small branch from the anterior division of the obturator nerve. So now we have the whole of the sensory nerve supply at the front of the thigh. And so we can see the sensory nerve supply at the front of the thigh is as follows. We have here the branch from the twelfth thoracic nerve, We have here the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve coming down the lateral side of the thigh, sending a branch posteriorly. We have here in the middle the intermediate femoral cutaneous nerves, branches of the femoral nerve. We have here the femoral branch of the genitofemoral nerve, and we have down on the medial side here the medial femoral cutaneous nerves which supply the medial side of the thigh down as far as the medial side of the knee joint. We have up here the ilioinguinal nerve coming through the superficial inguinal uh, ring here and supplying the medial side of the thigh and the adjacent part of the genitalia. And lastly we have a small variable area here which is supplied by the anterior division of the obturator nerve. The superficial veins of the lower limb are very important clinically. I don't think it's appreciated by many that the superficial veins are commonly diseased and cause varicose veins, and varicose veins cost this country many million dollars a year in the treatment costs. So let us first of all consider the distribution of the superficial veins of the leg. Now if this is the again the region of the anterior superior iliac spine, we can continue the skin down the lateral side of the thigh, lateral side of the knee, lateral side of the calf, and go on to the lateral side of the foot. And in the same way we can consider this being the medial side of the thigh, medial side of the calf, and then the medial malleolus of the uh, tibia, and then the heel of the foot going down the medial side of the foot. And we can just indicate the position of the patella in that sort of way. Now you may remember that up in the front of the thigh below the region of the inguinal ligament, uh, the deep fascia has an opening called the saphenous opening. And I'll just indicate the position of that opening in that sort of manner. Now the great or long saphenous vein starts in the foot by being a continuation of the medial side of the dorsal venous arch. And I'll indicate the position of the dorsal venous arch in that manner. Now, coming off the medial side of that dorsal venous arch, the great or long saphenous vein passes up in front of the medial malleolus, directly in front of the medial malleolus of the tibia. It then runs up the medial side of the calf and then passes behind the knee. In that way, only to emerge on the front of the thigh again and pass up in this way across the medial surface of the thigh finally passing through the saphenous opening to drain into the femoral vein which is lying in this area. So here then is the great saphenous vein draining the medial side of the dorsal venous arch passing up in front of the medial malleolus of the tibia running up the medial side of the calf passing behind the knee and then running across the medial side of the thigh to drain into the femoral vein. And the surface marking of this point is about one and a half inches below and lateral to the pubic tubercle at this point. Now, what are the tributaries of this important vein? Well, clearly it is receiving tributaries from small veins as it's passing up the medial side of the calf. And there's usually a fairly large tributary, sometimes known as the accessory vein of the thigh, as it's crossing the front of the thigh. As it's passing through the saphenous opening, it receives three important tributaries. One from the genitalia is known as the superficial external pudendal vein. This joins the great saphenous vein as it's passing through the saphenous opening. Then there is the superficial epigastric vein, which is coming down from the skin below the umbilicus and draining into the great saphenous vein as it's piercing that saphenous opening. And finally up here, we have the superficial circumflex iliac vein, which comes from the skin in the region of the anterior superior iliac spine and passes down and joins the great saphenous vein at this point. Clearly any treatment of the great saphenous vein where the operation of stripping the vein or ligating the vein requires that these smaller veins are ligated also. Now if we pass over to a picture on this side, we'll look at the back of the leg. We indicate the position of the back of the thigh coming down into the popliteal space, then we'll indicate the position of the calf and the lateral malleolus, and then we'll show here the heel and the sole of the foot in that manner. So, this is the lateral side of the leg. We've turned the leg round, so this is the lateral malleolus. Now passing up from the lateral side of the dorsal venous arch is the small saphenous vein, and this passes behind the lateral malleolus. Notice that the short or small saphenous vein passes behind the lateral malleolus, whereas the great saphenous vein passed in front of the medial malleolus. So the small saphenous vein passes behind the lateral malleolus and so we see it coming up here and passing up on the posterior surface of the calf in this manner piercing the deep fascia over the popliteal space and here joining the popliteal vein as it's passing up through the popliteal space. Now to complete this drawing of course we should just put in a small area here of the great saphenous vein as it's passing behind the knee. Here it is passing behind the knee. And we can show an important communication that exists between the two veins in this area. Now what are the tributaries of this vein? Clearly it has drained the lateral side of the dorsal venous arch of the foot and as it's passing up on the back of the calf it is receiving additional tributaries and it's receiving this communication between the great saphenous vein and the short saphenous vein, small saphenous vein, in the popliteal space. Now, are there any other communications? Well, I think we have to consider a separate diagram and see the deep veins of the leg. Now, what I'm going to do here on this diagram is put in uh, a a deep artery, say, uh, the tibial artery, and indicate to you the position of the comitantes as it winds around this artery and uh, communicate one with the other in this sort of manner. So these are the venae co- commutantes of, say, the tibial artery. Now closely related to these arteries, because they're s- deeply situated, we have some of the deep muscles of the leg. And these are enclosed in deep fascia. And I'll indicate the fascial compartment in that sort of manner. Now superficial to the deep fascia, we have the subcutaneous tissue. And it is in the subcutaneous tissue that we have these veins we've been talking about, namely the great saphenous vein and the small saphenous vein. Now there are communications between these superficial veins and the venae comitantes. And lying along the course of those communications, which sometimes referred to as perforating veins, we have dilatations. And these dilatations signify the presence of valves. Now the direction of the valve's cusps is such that the blood tends to pass from the superficial veins into the deep veins, and then the contraction of the surrounding muscles tends to milk the blood up the veins uh, towards the heart. Now you can understand that should these valves become incompetent, As these muscles contract, they will force the blood out of the deep venous system, out into the superficial system. And so in this way, these superficial veins will become overburdened with blood, and become dilated, and tortuous, and become varicose. It is important, therefore, in treating varicose veins, to not only tie or strip off these great saphenous veins and the small saphenous vein, but also tie these tributaries, and be sure to tie these perforating veins. The perforating veins tend to occur in the region of the medial side of the knee joint and down near the ankle joint. Now let us look at the structures that lie beneath the skin on the front of the thigh. First of all, let us put the outline in of the thigh starting again with the anterior superior iliac spine and putting in below here the region of the pubic tubercle. We can bring the skin down on the lateral surface of the thigh and then bring the skin down on the medial side of the thigh, something in that sort of manner, and then we can indicate the position of the scrotum and the region of the penis in that manner. Now, extending between the anterior superior iliac spine and the pubic tubercle, we have the inguinal ligament, and I'll put that in as an interrupted line, and then show again the opening, the superficial inguinal ring, which is the opening in the aponeurosis of the external oblique. Now, the superficial fascia of the anterior abdominal wall, you'll remember, is in two layers. The most superficial layer is fatty, and is known as the fascia of Camper, and it comes down from the anterior abdominal wall, and becomes continuous with the fatty layer the superficial fascia of the thigh. Deep to that is a membranous layer of fascia, called the fascia of Scarpa, and this comes down over the inguinal ligament, and then is attached to the deep fascia of the thigh, about one finger's breadth below the inguinal ligament. This is of some considerable clinical importance because it means that if a patient should be unfortunate enough to rupture their urethra and urine was to extravasate up onto the anterior abdominal wall, it would pass up deep to this membranous layer superficial fascia and would extend laterally and try to get down into the thigh. But the attachment of this membranous layer of fascia to the deep fascia of the thigh prevents it entering the thigh. Well now, in this diagram, let us now put in the deep fascia. We can indicate it in this manner. It is attached above to the lower margin of the inguinal ligament, in the region of pubic cubicle, and the fibers arch laterally in this sort of way, passing right up to the anterior superior iliac spine. And you remember that the fascia, deep fascia of the thigh, is thickened down the lateral side of the thigh, to form the iliotibial tract. This extends from the iliac tuberosity down as far as the lateral condyle of the tibia and it has inserted into it two muscles. The tensor fasciae latae in front and the gluteus maximus behind. And it is the upward pull of these two muscles on this thickening of the deep fascia which can cause extension of the knee and cause and uh, maintain the knee in the extended position. The tone of the tensor fasciae and the gluteus maximus muscles are therefore important in maintaining the knee in an extended position. Well now if we follow this deep fascia on down, we see that in this region here, there is a free margin. In fact, the deep fascia extends round and medially, and then passes up posteriorly to the original layer, so that our fibres arch round in this manner, and so we have formed an opening, referred to as the saphenous opening. And the fibres arch around and then pass underneath the original layer. So this is the fascia lata or deep fascia of the thigh, showing how the fibres arch around from the inguinal ligament and the pubic tubercle, and then pass deep underneath this lateral margin. This sharp free edge it's referred to as the falciform margin. Now, lying posterior to this, we have the lower end of the femoral sheath. And you remember that lying in the femoral sheath, we have, laterally, the femoral artery coming down and then passing down into the thigh, posterior to the saphenous opening, in that sort of manner. And medial to that, we have the femoral vein passing down in the femoral sheath and separated from the femoral artery by a septum. And then here we have the medial compartment, which is the important femoral canal. Now, passing up from the front of the thigh in the superficial fascia, you remember we had that great saphenous vein. And it passes around the falciform margin of the saphenous opening and drains into the femoral vein. And it is at this point here that it is receiving the superficial external pudendal vein, the superficial epigastric vein, and the superficial circumflex iliac vein. So these veins have had to enter this great saphenous vein as it's passing through the saphenous opening to join the femoral vein. Now, it must be remembered that the femoral artery is giving off corresponding small branches corresponding to these little veins. We have the superficial circumflex iliac artery, the superficial epigastric artery, and the superficial external pudendal artery. Following these little veins that drain ultimately into the great saphenous vein. Now, filling in this opening, we have some fibro-fatty tissue with multiple holes in it, referred to as the criviform fascia. Now, just to complete this picture, I think it's important uh, to remind you of the position of the inguinal lymph nodes. We have two groups of lymph nodes. A group that lies just below the inguinal ligament, embedded in the superficial fascia. And this drains the skin from below the umbilicus drains the buttock and drains the external genitalia. It drains also the lower half of the anal canal. It does not, it does not drain the testis. Lying alongside the great saphenous vein, we have a vertical group of superficial inguinal nodes, and of course these are draining the lymph vessels which run up with the great saphenous vein. Now I think the next question we was put to one another is, where do these lymph nodes drain into ultimately themselves? And the answer is they drain through this creviform fascia into the deep inguinal lymph nodes which ultimately themselves drain up through the femoral canal into the external iliac nodes. So this is an important opening. It is called the saphenous opening because it receives the great saphenous vein. And you can see it is a gateway from the superficial fascia through the deep fascia into the deeper structures, into the deeper layers. And lying in that opening is the femoral artery, the femoral vein, and the lower end of the femoral canal. I think it's important to realize the relationship of that canal to the saphenous opening because we know that a femoral hernia coming down through the femoral canal could bulge out through this saphenous opening. Now we want to build up the front of the thigh from the bones working up towards the surface. So first of all we'll draw the right hip bone and put in the right femur. Now starting with the iliac crest we can put it in extending forwards round to the anterior superior iliac spine. So this roughened area in front here indicates the anterior superior iliac spine, and we can indicate a little elevation here, which is the tuberosity of the iliac crest. Now as we work our way down here, we come from the anterior superior iliac spine down to the anterior inferior iliac spine there, and so on down to the uh, iliopubic eminence, and show the margin of the acetabulum here. Passing on from there, we can show the lower edge of the superior ramus of the pubis, and indicate the position of the pubic tubercle. And up here, we can show the upper margin of the superior ramus of the pubis, passing on, and we can indicate the position of the symphysis pubis in the midline. Now, below this level, we can indicate on either side the inferior rami of the pubis passing down to the ramus of the ischium and so up to the ischial tuberosity. And we can indicate here the position of the obturator foramen. Further up inside the pelvis I think we should just put in the iliopectineal line passing round to the superior ramus of the pubis and then just indicate the position of the ischial spine, way down inside the pelvis, in that sort of manner. So that we have, then, the inner surface here of the ilium, the iliac crest, the tuberosity of the iliac crest, the anterior superior iliac spine, the anterior inferior iliac spine, and here the acetabulum, and here the ischial tuberosity. Here the superior ramus of the pubis, the pubic symphysis in the midline, the pubic crest, pubic crest, pubic tubicle on the other side, the obturator foramen, and the inferior ramus of the pubis, and the ramus of the ischium, and the ischial tuberosity. Having drawn in the pelvis, we should now put in the femur. So I'll erase the part of the acetabulum that will not be seen behind the head of the femur, and put in now the rounded head of the femur. Remember it's a hemispherical head and covered with hyaline articular cartilage and articulating uh, with the acetabulum of the pelvic bone uh, to form the hip joint. And now we pass from the head of the femur to the neck of the femur down in this sort of manner and then up onto the greater trochanter and from the greater trochanter we pass down the lateral surface of the shaft of the femur and then onto the lateral condyle and down to the lower surface or uh, the lower end of the femur. Now, up in this area here you can see it is roughened. This is the attachment of the gluteus medius onto the side of the great trochanter and roughened on the front of the greater trochanter for the insertion of the gluteus minimus. And then we can see leading down from the great trochanter down towards a protrusion here called the lesser trochanter we can see the intertrochanteric line. So this is the intertrochanteric line, and this is the lesser trochanter at the root of the neck of the femur. And so we follow it on down, the medial side of the shaft of the femur, and passing down to the region of the adductor tubercle, there, the adductor tubercle, and the medial surface of the medial condyle of the femur. And so we join up the two. So here we have the medial side of the medial condyle, and the lateral side of the lateral condyle. And we can show the articular surface in front here for the patella. Large lateral surface here on the lateral condyle and a small medial surface. Well I think now we're in a position to uh, put in the capsule of the uh, hip joint and later on the obturator membrane. Now the capsule of the hip joint is attached around the margin of the acetabulum in that way, medially and laterally it is attached along the intertrochanteric line. And so extending between these two areas is the capsule of the hip joint. And so we can now erase the structures that lie deep to the capsule. Remembering the capsule is lined with synovial membrane, and the articular surfaces are covered with hyaline articular cartilage. So here's the capsule, and there's a small opening in the front of the capsule where the synovial membrane comes out and becomes continuous with the sub bursa. Well now, there are some important ligaments in front of this joint. There's the very strong Y-shaped iliofemoral ligament. The base of the stem of the Y is attached to the anterior inferior iliac spine And as the stem passes down, it splits, and so we have one limb of the Y, and the lower limb of the Y. This is the very strong iliofemoral ligament. The parts between here and here are usually a few slips of fibres strengthening the capsule. And you can see clearly that this iliofemoral ligament will limit extension of the hip joint. Now, coming from the superior ramus of the pubis, this area here, and the iliopubic eminence, we have the pubofemoral ligament. And the pubofemoral ligament is attached there along the superior ramus of the pubis, and passes downwards and laterally. it's triangular in shape, and is attached to the lower end of the intertrochanteric line, fusing with the most medial part of this iliofemoral ligament. in that way. And you can see how this ligament will limit the movement of abduction of the hip joint as well as extension. Now if we again mark in this small opening where the synovial membrane passes out of the joint we can see how this expands to form the subsoas psoas versa. Now passing to the uh, hip bone again We can see here the obturator foramen and in life the obturator foramen is closed in by the obturator membrane, fibres passing across, running from the rami of the pubis and ischium and filling it in apart from a small area up the top here which is known as the obturator canal for the passage of the obturator nerve and artery. Now arising from the outer surface of that obturator membrane and from the surrounding bone we have here a muscle known as the obturator externus. This muscle passes upwards and laterally beneath the joint and passes behind the neck of the femur and eventually is inserted into the upper posterior part of the greater trochanter. It is supplied by the obturator nerve and its action is to adduct the Uh, hip joint and act as an external or lateral rotator. So I'll just erase here now the underlying bones so we can put the full muscle in position. The obturator externus muscle arising from the outer surface of the obturator membrane and from the surrounding bones and the fibers passing backwards and upwards under the hip joint uh, to go into the great trochanter in, in that manner. Now, another muscle we should put in is the tensor fasciae latae. Now, the tensor fasciae latae arises from the lateral surface of the anterior superior iliac spine, and its fibers pass downwards and laterally to be inserted into this iliotibial tract, which we've heard so much about. It is the thickening of the deep fascia of the thigh, which extends from the tubercle of the iliac crest down to the lateral condyle of the tibia. Having put that muscle in, we can see that its action is to uh, tense the iliotibial tract and help the gluteus maximus to keep the knee in the extended position. It is supplied by the superior gluteal nerve. Now, coming down from inside the pelvis, we have the iliacus muscle. Now, the iliacus muscle arises from the inner surface of the iliac bone. Its fibers pass downwards under the inguinal ligament and in front of the hip joint, and is going to be inserted with the psoeus into the lesser trochanter of the femur. So we'll just indicate the margin of this muscle. And you can see how that psoas burst is extending under the iliacus, it will also extend slightly under the psoas, and the fibers will extend from the whole of this area. So I'll now erase the structures that lie behind it. The iliacus muscle, a strong flexor of the hip joint, and a medial rotator of the hip joint. And you can see how the fibers are coming down from this inner surface of the iliac bone, and passing down, and going into the lesser trochanter. Now again, emphasizing the presence of this sub bursa which communicates with the synovial membrane within inside the joint, we can put in the psoas muscle. Now the psoas muscle arises from the sides of the bodies of the lumbar vertebrae uh, and also the side of the body of the twelfth thoracic vertebrae and also from the roots of the transverse processes of the lumbar vertebrae and this muscle passes down from the side of the vertebral column and joins the iliacus muscle and passes to the less trochanter. So you have a sort of common tendon here where they come together, and this common tendon is referred to as the iliopsoas tendon. It's coming down into the less trochanter in that region like that. So the psoas passing from the abdominal cavity, passing down through the false pelvis under the inguinal ligament, crossing into the thigh and joining the iliacus to be inserted into the lesser trochanter. And the structures that lie behind it, including the joint and the versa, can now be raised. So here is the sias muscle. It is a flexor of the hip joint, and it is a medial rotator of the hip joint, and it receives its nerve supply from the lumbar plexus, which you remember resides within it, near its origin. Well, now we're in a position to put another muscle in, and this is the pectineus. Now, the pectineus muscle arises from the superior ramus of the pubis in this region here. We can indicate its origin here, and it passes downwards and laterally and is inserted into the femur. Uh, along a line running from the lesser trochanter to the linear aspera on the posterior surface. And I'll just outline its uh, margins in that manner. See how it's coming down in front of the obturator externus and in front of the pubofemoral ligament. The pectineus muscle. It is supplied by the femoral nerve and it is an adductor and a flexor of the hip joint. Its nerve supply is from the femal nerve, although occasionally it receives branches from the obturator nerve. So here is the pectoneus muscle. And now we're in a position to put in the inguinal ligament. You'll remember that the inguinal ligament is the thickened lower margin of the aponeurosis of the external oblique, and it extends from the anterior superior iliac spine down to the pubic tubercle in this sort of manner, crossing over these muscles and tending to arch downwards slightly, being pulled down by the deep fascia of the thigh, which is attached to its lower margin. So there's the inguinal ligament, and when it reaches the pubic tubercle, the fibers curve on round to be attached to the iliopectoneal line, and in so doing, they produce a sort of sickle-shaped structure there called a lacuna ligament, which in turn is continuous with a thickening of the periosteum on the upper surface of the, bu- the superior remus of the pubis, known as the pectoneal ligament. So, in fact, we have three ligaments c- continuous with one another. The inguinal ligament, the lacuna ligament, and the pectineal ligament. Now, down the lateral side of the thigh, I'll continue this ten- the tensor fasciae latae as the iliotibial tract and we'll now turn to the medial side of the thigh here and put in the adductor longus. Now the adductor longus muscle arises from the front of the body of the pubis below and medial to the pubic tubercle, and it is a triangular-shaped muscle which passes downwards and laterally and is inserted into the linear aspera on the posterior surface of the shaft of the femur in that manner. So here is the adductor longus, rising from the lower from the front, lower part of the front of the body of the pubis, below and medial to the pubic tubercle, and the fibers passing downwards and laterally and are inserted into the linear aspera on the posterior surface of the shaft of the femur. You can see from the direction of the fibers that the muscle is clearly an adductor of the hip joint and by virtue of the fact the fibres pass behind the femur, it is a lateral rotator of the femur at the hip joint. Now, below that, on a lower level again, we can see that there is a muscle extending from this ramus of the pubis and ischium, which I think we should put in for the sake of completion. It is the adductor part of the adductor magnus. And this is a massive muscle which has two origins, a hamstring origin on the back of the thigh from the ischial tuberosity, and an adductor origin from the inferior ramus of the pubis and the pubis and the ramus of the ischium. And this adductor part passes down in this fashion, lying behind the adductor longus above, and below here is passing down onto the medial supracondylar ridge. And right down near the adductor tubercle, we can see that some of the fibers here are attached to a fibrous arch which allows structures to pass from the front of the thigh back into the popliteal space. And yet another muscle we can put in here is the gracilis muscle. Now the gracilis arises from the lower part of the body of the pubis and the ramus, the ramus of the pubis and it is a strap-like muscle passing down to the medial surface of the upper part of the shaft of the tibia, the gracilis muscle. Now, the gracilis muscle is supplied by the obturator nerve, the adductor part of the adductor magnus is supplied by the obturator nerve, and the adductor longus is supplied by the obturator nerve. Now, we've been rather ignoring this part of the diagram, so let us fill in some of the structures that lie here arising from the upper part of the intertrochanteric line and the lower part of the greater trochanter we have the vastus lateralis muscle. So we can indicate its position here, rising around there and then going round the lateral side of the greater trochanter and the lateral side of the linear aspera and also the lateral intermuscular septum. So here we have a large muscle within the deep fascia coming down and going to be inserted by means of tendinous fibers into the side of the patella and the ligamentum patellae. So let us, before we go any further, put in the position of the patella here. We indicate its position and I'll fill it in solid so that we can see it. The patella, which is a sesamoid bone in the ligamentum patellae. So here this muscle comes down and the fibres are coming down and coming round from the back and are inserted into this patella. Bearing of course in mind that the lower fibres are aponeurotic and coming down into the side the uh, side of the patella and contributing to the capsule of the knee joint, in that sort of manner. So there is then the vastus lateralis part of the quadriceps femoris muscle. fibres sweeping down and coming around the lateral side of the thigh. Now on the medial side of the thigh we have a similar muscle, the vastus medialis. And this arises from the lower part here, of the intertrochanteric line, the medial lip of the linea aspera, and the fibres sweep forwards in this sort of manner, round the side, on the medial side this time, of the thigh, on the medial side of the shaft of the femur, and are inserted into the medial side of the patella, and contribute to the capsule of the knee joint, and also the ligamentum patellae. It's important to realize, I think, that some of the lowest fibers of the vastus medialis pass directly into the side of the patella, on the medial side, and so help keep the patella in its correct position during extension of the knee. So the vastus medialis, part of the quadriceps muscle occupying the medial side of the shaft of the femur. Now what lies between these two? We have there the vastus intermedius, and the vastus intermedius occupies the whole of this area here in the middle, lying between the vastus lateralis and the vastus medialis. It arises from the whole of the anterolateral surface of the shaft of the femur and passes down to be inserted into the upper border of the patella. It's interesting to note the lowest fibers here come directly off the front of the lower end of the femur and are attached to a upward extension of the synovial membrane of the knee joint called the suprapatellar bursa and during extension these fibers pull up this bursa so it doesn't get trapped between the patella and the condyles of the femur. This muscle is called the Articularis genu. It is a separate part of the vastus intermedius lying directly underneath the main muscle mass. So here's the vastus intermedius coming down to be inserted into the upper margin of the patella. And we raise the shaft of the femur and part of the vastus medialis. And here it is then, coming down into the upper surface, upper edge, upper border of the patella. The vastus intermedius muscle. So how much of the quadriceps have we got now in position? We have the vastus medialis, the vastus lateralis, and the vastus intermedius. Now there's one other part, and that is the rectus femoris. Now the rectus femoris arises by two heads. A straight head from the anterior inferior ILEx spine, which is just up in this region, and a reflected head which comes off the top of the acetabulum. And so the two heads are coming together from behind here and uniting to form a single tendon, coming down in this sort of manner, forming a single tendon which goes down the center of the muscle. Now, the rectus femoris muscle is attached to the patella, and so we show the lower part of the tendon coming down to be attached to the lower end here, to the upper margin of the sesamoid bone, the patella, and then the tendon splits in this sort of manner, coming up like this, And the fibres of the rectus femoris are going to cover over this vastus intermedius. So I'll rub out here the vastus intermedius. And so we have the characteristic uh, shape of the fibres here of the rectus femoris. So now we have all four parts of the quadriceps the vastus lateralis, the dark brown, the light brown, the vastus uh, medialis, the orange color that we can just see there, the vastus intermedius, and now this pinkish area in the center, the bipennate muscle, the rectus femoris. And all these muscles come together on the patella and then converge on the ligamentum patelli to be inserted on the tibial tuberosity. Contraction of this muscle group causes extension of the knee joint and the tone of this muscle group uh, contributes tremendously to the strength and stability of the knee joint. I think it's important to note that since the rectus femoris arises from the pelvic bone, it is also going to have a flexor action on the hip joint. Well now, uh, just to complete this area, we put in the remainder of this muscle here, the tensor fasciae latae, Now we can put in the rest of the tensor fascia latae muscle. It arises, you remember, from the lateral surface of the anterior superior iliac spine, and it comes down and is inserted into this iliotibial tract. So let us continue the iliotibial tract downwards, and it goes to its attachment to the lateral margin of the lateral condyle of the tibia. Now there's another muscle we must put in, and that is the sartorius muscle. Now, the sartorius arises from the lateral surface here of the uh, anterior superior iliac spine, and it is coming down in this manner as a strap-shaped muscle, which is going to cross over and run across here, go down to be inserted into the medial surface of the shaft of the tibia with the gracilis. And what we'll do is we'll just extend it down as far as I have put it in here and then cut it across in that manner and show it in that way. So that here is the sartorius coming down and then I'll continue it down here cutting it across and then show it coming across like that going down to its insertion. You remember we have three muscles inserted into the upper part of the shaft, the tibia. We have the gracilis which I've already put in here We have the semitendinosus coming from the hamstring area at the back of the thigh and now we're putting in the third muscle, the sartorius. So we have the sartorius, grassless, semitendinosus going into the upper part of the shaft of the tibia. All right, well now I think we're in a position to bring down the femoral nerve. Now the femoral nerve is a branch of the lumbar plexus arising from the anterior anterior rami of L2, 3, and 4. And it emerges from the lateral surface of the psoas muscle and runs down in the groove between the psoas and the lycus muscle in the abdominal cavity. And then it passes under the inguinal ligament and extends for about an inch and a half below the inguinal ligament. And then almost immediately breaks up into superficial and deep branches. The superficial branches ...supply the sartorius muscle and the pectineus muscle and gives off two cutaneous branches. The intermediate cutaneous nerve of the thigh and the medial femoral cutaneous nerve of the thigh. The intermediate femoral cutaneous nerve of the thigh and the medial femoral cutaneous nerve of the thigh. The deep part of the femoral nerve is distributed to the quadriceps muscle, one branch going to the rectus femoris, one branch coming down and going to the uh, vastus lateralis, and a fairly long branch coming down to the vastus medialis. The longest continuation of this femoral nerve is the saphenous nerve, and this comes on down and as we shall see will cross the femoral artery, pass on down here go behind the sartorius and then come out between the sartorius and grassless and go down the leg. So this is the saphenous nerve which is the longest terminal branch of the femoral nerve. Remember that femoral nerve comes from the lumbar plexus L2, 3 and 4 from the anterior rami. Notice that the surface marking of that nerve as it passes under the inguinal ligament is midway between the anterior superior ilex spine and the pubic tubercle. Now lying medial to that, we have an important fascial sheath which is derived from the fascial lining of the abdominal cavity. And this fascial sheath is referred to as the femoral sheath. Its anterior wall is derived from the fascia transversalis. Its posterior fascial wall is derived from the fascia lyca. And this sheath passes under the inguinal ligament. Notice how medially it is closely related to that lacuna ligament. And it passes down for about three-quarters of an inch into the thigh. And it has within it three compartments. The most lateral compartment contains the femoral artery. And the femoral artery passes down as a continuation of the external iliac artery. And it becomes continuous with the external iliac artery at the level of the inguinal ligament. From this point on, it leaves the sheath and passes down on the pectineus, and then on the adductor longus and then finally on the adductor magnus closely related to the vastus medialis and finally passes out of the thigh by passing through that hiatus in the adductor magnus. And at this point, it changes its name and becomes known as the popliteal artery. So there is the thermal artery. It is a continuation of the external iliac artery at the level of the inguinal ligament, and it disappears through the hiatus in the adductor magnus behind the sartorius here and goes behind the knee joint and becomes known as the popliteal artery. Now what are the branches of this important artery? It gives off a number of small branches here, which pass up to the abdomen, superficial epigastric, superficial circumflex iliac, superficial external pudendal. It also gives off a deep artery, the deep external pudendal, but these are quite small arteries. The main branch is the profunda artery, and the profunda artery arises from the lateral, posterolateral side of the femoral artery below the inguinal ligament. And it passes downwards and laterally and then disappears through the floor of this area by passing between the pectineus and adductor longus. And so it goes on down into the adductor compartment of the thigh behind the adductor longus and in front of adductor magnus. This important artery, the profunda femoris, gives off the lateral femoral circumflex artery, which crosses in this direction, and a medial femoral circumflex artery, which passes backwards and medially in this sort of direction. You can see from the direction of these two arteries that they're going to supply the region of the muscle here below the hip joint. The last branch of the femoral artery is the descending genicular artery, and this comes off just above the knee joint and passes down and contributes to the knee joint. Notice that the saphenous nerve, the longest terminal branch of this femoral nerve, crosses the femoral artery as it's crossing down about the middle third of the thigh. Now, lying medial to the femoral artery, we have the femoral vein. And the femoral vein is a continuation of the popliteal vein in the popliteal space. And the femoral vein has come up here behind the femoral artery, and then as it passes up in this region, it assumes the medial position, and finally occupies the medial part here of the sheath, passing underneath the uh, inguinal ligament, occupying the intermediate part of this femoral sheath, lying medial to the femoral artery and at this point becoming continuous with the external iliac vein. And you will remember it is in this position here that this vein receives the great satinous vein which has come up on the medial side of the knee and drained into the femoral vein through the saphenous opening. Now, that leaves a compartment here on the medial side, which is the important femoral canal, the upper opening of which is referred to as the femoral ring. And this contains uh, lymphatics which drain the medial side of the thigh and all the superficial lymphatics, and they pass up through this femoral canal to drain into the external iliac nodes. Now, if we complete the sartorius muscle, we can see that it'll come down and cross over the femoral vessels and bury the femoral artery. And if we do that, we see how this muscle takes on this sort of direction, crossing over here and burying the femoral vessels. So the femoral vessels lie under the sartorius here, in the middle third of the thigh, and that area is referred to sometimes as the adductor canal or the subsartorial canal. So I'll erase the structures that now lie deep to the sartorius. Remember, the sartorius is a strap-shaped muscle coming down from from this anterior superior iliac spine crossing over the femoral artery and You can see from its direction that it'll be a flexor of the hip joint and it will flex the knee and medially rotate the knee. So here is the sartorius coming down. And you can see how the femoral artery and vein are underneath the sartorius there, along with the saphenous nerve, the nerve to the vastus medialis, lymphatics and, of course, the deep branch of the obturator nerve. Having put these structures in the front of the thigh, we're now in a position to outline the femoral triangle. Now, the femoral triangle is bounded laterally by the medial border of the sartorius muscle. And it is bounded uh, medially by the medial border of adductor longus muscle. And it is bounded above by the inguinal ligament. So here is the triangle. Medial border of the sartorius, medial border of adductor longus, and the inguinal ligament. You'll notice that the structures lying within this triangle are the femoral nerve, which is outside the femoral sheath, the femoral artery, femoral vein, which are inside the sheath, and the important lymphatics which lie in the femoral sheath. And all these structures lie in a gutter formed by the following muscles the iliacus, the psoas, the pectineus, and the adductor longus. This then is the femoral triangle. Notice that the apex of the triangle is continuous under the sartorius with the subsartorial canal. And the subsartorial canal is in turn continuous through the hiatus in the adductor magnus, with the popliteal space. Just to complete the drawing, we bring up this important great saphenous vein, which drains into the femoral vein, one and a half inches below and lateral to the pubic tubercle.